need to remind you that Yes, but I want to talk about the importance of this because, you know, a lot of times it's easy to write a check and you send it somewhere and you feel good or whatever, and, but at the end of the day, these are real. And what's powerful to me is we had a family in here that she testified, well, we had the Christmas box event and she's all teary-eyed and I said, what's going on? She's from the Philippines and she said, my children and I, there was a time we had nothing. And we got this, all my children, and I will never forget how it changed their lives. She came here, she married an amazing man, loves the Lord, they're wonderful people, they're living on the East Coast now. She is a successful entrepreneur, she's got a business, she's thriving, he's a mechanic, a lead mechanic, doing awesome. And, and so these do affect and touch people's lives. So don't forget that, and this is easy to do, it's easy to fill these, there's directions back there, and the kids every year do this at school, and I don't know how many boxes last year, honey. Do you remember? Between the church and the school, about 100. Robert, you guys pick up on this. How, how many, at the end of the day, are you picking up in the Rogue Valley here? Wow. 2,000. Wow. That's amazing. So anyhow, it's simple and easy to do. Well, most of you know that I do not do uh, a lot of review. I'm kind of in a little series here, and uh, I'm just really excited today because we're heading down to the Mario Murillo crusade, some of us, and I'm so stoked to be part of that because Mario is such a huge part of the reason why I'm standing here today. He called me out when I was 18 years old, and you guys, most of you heard the testimony, but I was mocking God. I was mocking everything that was going on at that service. I saw my dad get healed by the power of God. I saw Mario, just through the power of the Holy Spirit, read my dad's story and relate it to me because I was the only one there that knew what had happened to my dad. He was seriously injured and his back was crushed. And he just, he prayed for him. My dad was healed. But during that time pr leading up to that, you know, Mario's calling people out with headaches and foot aches and leg aches, and I'm, honestly, I'm just going, you know, if I sit here long enough, my butt will start aching. This is terrible. There's enough people in this crowd, you could just call this stuff out and be right. Statistically, you could. But when he called my dad out, and my dad was healed, and then Mario read his mail, and my dad said, I'm totally healed. And I knew my dad was, because he was doing the Watusi dance, and he'd never been able to do that. Touching his toes, the ground, and everything. But in the very end, Mauro just points right to me and he goes, now do you believe? <laughs> radically, radically altered the trajectory of my life. Years go by, so Mario touched my father, he had touched my life. Years go by, my son, you guys probably heard the story, I don't mean to be redundant, but it's exciting to me. He heard some guy on a podcast, you know, Jonathan's out pouring concrete and he's listening to something on his earbuds and... And it's Mario, and he comes home, he said, Dad, who is this Mario guy? Because I want to find him, I want to talk to him. So I told him the story of Grandpa and me. So Jonathan and April get in a car, they, they find him down in Yuba City, they go into a little church, <clears throat> and they want to speak to Mario, and they're like, you know, Mario's, he's just not, you know, I appreciate you coming, young man, but I, you know, he's a busy guy. And my son said, we'll wait. About three or four minutes later, there's a tap on his shoulder, he was invited into this side room with his wife. So it was Mario, 
Mario's wife and what Jonathan describes as Attila the Hun, which probably was the <coughs> bodyguard for Mario, and then my son and, and his wife. So, <coughs> and he says, how can I help you, young man? And he told him the story how his ministry has spanned three generations, how he had touched his grandfather, me, his father, and he had touched him in his life. Mario grabbed him, pulled him to him. He said, you have brought a cool, cold cup of water to a dry prophet. Thank you, thank you. And he said, you have a message in you and you need to take it to this nation. I'm excited. I'm excited to go down there and, and just to support and be part of. Mario's really pushing and, and he's getting a lot of pushback, but thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are being affected by his ministry. And he's gonna, he, you know, he's prophetically speaking, healings are gonna come forth that are unprecedented, healings. Because when we preach the power, like it did in the Old Testament days, and signs and wonders follow, man, people are tired of hearing this, guys. They're tired of just, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're tired of that. But when you preach Jesus, the raw, undiluted gospel, and you preach that, and people come to this place where they accept that, watch for signs and wonders to happen. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Last week when I spoke, I was speaking on Genesis chapter 6 and how Genesis is just that Genesis. It's the beginning of so much. It's where so many things happen. It's when God created the heavens and the earth. It's where we see the patriarchs all stand and come forth. All of this new stuff happens. It's the origin of sin. It's where so many things started. And one of the things we talked about in that moment was we talked about theology. And I know theology is a word that typically puts a lot of people, at least in, in evangelical, well, mostly charismatic Pentecostal camps, kind of puts you to sleep. But I'm telling you, theology is really important. And how the word is written, understanding some of the translations are not accurate. And we talked about some of the words that were used in our English language, which when we look at it, wasn't the intent of the original Hebrew writers, right? So we talked about that. We talked about... Uh, Genesis chapter 6, where um, <clears throat> God was upset and God was angry. In fact, it says that God regretted or God repented. Most translations use the word repented, that he, even, that he ever created mankind. But that's not true. We looked at the word that was used in repentance. The early word that the original Hebrew writer put in there was the word nachem. And it's not, it's not what we think it is. It's actually one of those uh, Semitic idioms that is so poetic, it describes four emotions in one word. It, it describes um, grief and comfort and compassion and hope, all of it in one word. That was the original word that was in there. But we had no word in our English language to put in there that would translate all that. So we just put the word, it regretted God or it repented God that he had made man. But God did not regret making us. God did not regret making us. God has never repented that he made mankind. How could an all-knowing God create something that he knew he was going to destroy? Now, was God grieved? Yes, the word says he was grieved unto the depths of his heart. 
that man had taken the course that they had taken. Now, I didn't go there, but <clears throat> I think God also, at the time of Noah and the flood, God was cleansing the land because a lot of bloodlines have been crossed and diluted. The enemy was about trying to take out that bloodline of Jesus, right? So he destroyed a lot of the world, allowed it to, to be destroyed. That wasn't his heart, but man had made its choice. And sin has consequences. The wages of sin are death and total alienation from God. And where we ended up in that story was, <clears throat> was how Noah, in the very, very end of Genesis 6-8, it says, now Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In, in, in the um, King James Version, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Another translation says that at that moment when God was ready to wipe everything out and God was going to recenter and readjust some things, Noah, one man, Noah, stumbled upon grace. I'm going somewhere with this because I want to talk about grace because there is a grace that I think that we, for most of our life, we've all thought about grace coming to us, right? We love receiving grace. We love hearing about God's grace being poured out upon us. But there's a point, guys, where we have to release that grace on others. And I think we're in that moment where we need to be turning this, what we have received freely, we need to be turning it to a lost and dying world. And we need to be representing grace in a way the world has yet to see. Amen? So let's start. If I was to give you the meaning of grace, it's kind of all over the charts, but a textbook definition, if you looked up grace, would be God's unmerited favor. And that, is, that would be translated like this. That is, grace is God doing good for us when we certainly do not deserve it. Unmerited favor. In the Bible, we have grace and we have mercy. And they're like two heads of the same coin. One, one side of the head, mercy, is God withholding judgment or evil that I deserve. But on the other side of the coin, we have grace, is God giving me a blessing or something good that I also do not deserve. Grace and mercy. It's like two heads of the same coin. But what grace really entails is interpreted in various different ways. I tend to believe it's God's empowering presence. That's the definition that I hold on to. And generally speaking, it is his grace that sustains. It is his grace that empowers me and you for this Christian life that God's called us to walk out, right? And I think, I think most of us understand that. I'm going to talk a lot about grace this morning, and I may be singing to the choir, but I want to show you guys a contrast between what we were without grace and where we are now with grace, okay? So others tend to see grace, in some camps tend to see grace as forgiveness, life, and salvation. But 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3 says, grace and peace be yours in the abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. It's given us everything we need. We've been given everything we need to walk this life out. Through our, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Here in this scripture, 2 Peter, we see that the grace of God is more than just salvation. But it's also everything we need for life and for godliness. So the definition of grace, you could say, would be something like this. I wrote God's life, power, and righteousness given to us by unmerited favor. Amen? It's through grace that God works a really super effective change in our hearts and our lives. Man, I'm so thankful for grace because grace has given me a new life. But grace is also 
put me in a place where I'm no longer condemned by God. <clears throat> it's through God's grace, I wrote here, we are forgiven, we are transformed in our thinking, which re results in the renewing of our heart and our mind. How many of you have grown in Jesus, have felt this renewing in your heart and your mind? Many of us can testify to that. That's the power of God's grace. <clears throat> so it's through grace, it's through the grace of God that we can live the kind of life that God intended for every one of his children to experience and to live in this life. Amen? So, let's, let's go a little bit deeper and let's look at what grace actually does in us. We see what grace has done for us, but what does grace actually do in us? <clears throat> Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's important here to see that it's by God's grace. Yes, we have been saved. There is nothing we can do to make us, we can't crawl up on the cross and crucify ourselves. We can't do that. <clears throat> There's nothing we can do. So it's, 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 it's not by works. Salvation is strictly done on the basis of God's grace. And it's all because of the cross, right? And I think we could all agree to that, or most of us. <coughs> I'm trying to get this tickle in my throat. God's grace, I'm going to hit some bullet points here. God's grace justifies us, right? Our justification is not something that we receive because of good works. It's not because we're just a good person. It's because of the payment Jesus made upon the cross. That's what allowed us to stand in the presence of God. It's only by his blood that covers our unrighteousness, covers it all, covers the sin in our lives that allows us to stand in the presence of God. Amen? God's grace sanctifies us. You know, sanctification is a process of being set aside. And in our case, we're being set aside for the purposes of God. You guys know that? <clears throat> Greg nailed it. I, that, thank you, brother. That was powerful. But I know in my life, God set me aside for such a time as this. And it's only by his grace that I'm able to do what I do. I'm just an old meat cutter, guys. But I'm saved by grace. But that grace has empowered me to walk this walk. Amen? God's grace, and this is important for us to understand, it empowers you and I for service. God wants us to be so full of his grace in our lives that we can say like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Paul understood he didn't have the magic sauce. He didn't have the secret sauce. He had grace. It was nothing that he did. It wasn't the way he walked or how he could articulate himself or carry himself in crowds, although he was a very good speaker. He was a very well-educated man, but he didn't attribute any of that to that. He said, it's only by grace I am what I am. <clears throat> Philippians 2.13 says, for it, is God, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love that. Very poetic. This means that whatever gifts and abilities God has given us by his grace, we should use them for his glory. God has released in every one of you a special gift. 
And God wants you to employ that gift for his kingdom. Every single one of you have been given a gift. Everyone. You need to be using that for his kingdom. God's grace and blessings, I wrote, were simply not given to us to sit in the church and feel good. Rather, they were given that we might not only be blessed, but also be a blessing to all those that are around us. Amen? <clears throat> How many of you focus on doing that? How many of you know what your gift is? How many of you know that God has given you grace to be able to function in this life? Yeah, God wants you to be a blessing to all those that are around you. So in light of some of the things I've shared just quickly, it would be, I think, difficult to overestimate the importance of grace as far as our lives are concerned. Amen? Grace is so important. I'm, I'm heading somewhere, guys. I don't mean to kind of be humming along here, but I'm trying to really land somewhere. <coughs> I know in my life, <coughs> man, Well, I, <clears throat> I appreciate it. I know that we, we lost some people on our trip down there. People gotten sick, and there's a lot of warfare going on. <clears throat> and uh, I don't think the enemy wants any of us moving out there. So <clears throat> I want to live my life to the fullest, and I hope you do too. What I mean by that is I want to live a grace-filled life. Amen. I think grace-filled living is exercising the gifts that grace has provided you. And as you do, you will spread the gospel of grace to a hurting and dying world. I know it's hard. We get blindsided. One of the elephants in the room could be <clears throat> this, all the elections and all the stuff that happened. And I'm not picking camps. I'm just saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Psalms 23, Jesus says, or God's telling us, I'll say it's Jesus speaking. Psalms 23, God has prepared a table in the presence of our enemies. Amen. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. Think about this. When you sit down to a table, at least me, <clears throat> I'm there to eat. I'm not looking behind me. God's saying, sit down. I've had friends that sit down. They want the corner, man. They want to watch everything. And they're eating their sandwich over here and spilling it over here. I'm not that guy. When I sit down to eat, it's like I'm focused on what's in front of me. Right. My wife's a very good cook, and I'm just like, I'm on this. <laughs> and that's how it should be in God's presence. Oh, my goodness. He takes care of us. He surrounds us. He says, go ahead and eat. And by the way, the enemies are going to watch what you're doing here but they're going to know how great and how powerful I am and how gracious and wonderful I am and how secure you are in my presence. Go ahead and eat. I got this. I got your back. I'll what you just eat. I want to sit at that table. <clears throat> so to fully understand grace, we need to consider again, like I've been trying to tell you, who we are without Christ, I mean with who we were without Christ and who we become with Christ. One of the easiest ways to teach contrast for me is, it, or to teach is contrast, and one of the things I love to do when I'm speaking with students is, is I'll use light as an analogy. If I wanna contrast something, I'll say, wanna speak about light, the lights are on. 
And then I'll hit the light switch and the room goes dark. Now I want to speak about darkness. They can see the contrast, light and dark, okay? So who we were before we became a believer and who we are now after a believer. So let's just hit some bullet points again really quick. Psalms 51.5, we were born in sin. We know that. I'm preaching to the choir. We know that we were born in sin and that we were guilty of breaking God's laws. We were. John, 1 John 1, 8 through 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We were enemies of God. How do you remember that moment when you really didn't want nothing to do with God? You could be considered an enemy of God. Wanted nothing to do with God. I remember those days. I mocked God a lot, even as a young boy growing in the church, growing up in a church, very conservative church. I hated the fact that I was told, you sit in the pew, that's your job. You sit in the pew, <clears throat> you don't drink and chew, you don't run with those that do, just sit there and be good. And I'd see my friends ride by on their dirt bikes. I'm like, We were deserving of death, for the wages of sin is death. But the word says, but the gift of God is eternal life. We were unrighteous. We were without any means of justifying ourselves before a holy God. Spiritually, you and I, when we were in that moment before we came to Christ, we were destitute. At least that's my heart, my story. I was destitute. We were blind. We were unclean, and we were dead. And I knew that my soul, when I had this sudden reality of who Jesus really was, I knew that my soul was in peril of everlasting punishment if I didn't fix this and open up my heart to Jesus and allow him to come in and radically alter my life. Amen? But then came grace, the old saying, but then came grace. Like Noah, how Noah stumbled upon grace, every one of us in our walk at some point in time, we stumbled upon grace. Right? We, we all of a sudden had this encounter where we had a revelation of God. And, and for many of us, it's so different how it worked. But we had this moment where we stepped into the kingdom. We moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because we have found grace. So, <clears throat> grace is what saves us. Grace is the essence of the gospel. Grace gives you and I victory over sin. James 4, 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture said, God opposes the, opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Man, God gives us grace. He gives us victory over sin. Grace gives us eternal encouragement and hope. I love that. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. How many of you know that moment? You come to that moment where you're just really discouraged and you just quiet yourself and you're starting to recenter yourself in the Lord and all of a sudden this encouragement begins to flood your heart. It's important we're doing that, and especially in this moment 
Paul repeatedly identified grace as the basis of his calling as an apostle. Repeatedly Paul did that. Romans 15, 15. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. Paul again identifies everything. His calling, his, his, the edge that God gave him, all of it, it was attributed to the grace that God had given to him. 1 Corinthians 3.10, he says, But by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else building on it. But each one of you should build with care. Which leads me to one of the very important things I want to hit on, and that is, again, the fact that God has given each of you the gift of grace. And in that grace, God has given you a special ability. God has given you some kind of gift. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 7 says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So this is an important analogy because it teaches us some of the key things that are so important about grace. Grace doesn't stop once you and I are saved. It doesn't. That grace keeps moving on. God is gracious to us for the rest of our lives. I have watched saints as they've grown older and then they graduate into eternity, how God just graced them all the way on all the journey. Isn't that fun to watch? Isn't that amazing to see? So God's grace does not stop the moment we're saved. Again, God is gracious to us for the rest of our lives, working within us and working upon us. Wow. The Bible, man, the Bible lists so many different additional benefits that grace secures for every believer. Again, grace, I just want to really nail down how big and how vast grace is, because sometimes it's a word that's just kind of hidden away. <clears throat> Again, grace justifies us. Grace provides for us and this incredible access to God where we can communicate and fellowship with him daily, momently. I mean, how many know that one? We have a direct line. Hello, hello, God. Are you there? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's me. Yeah, yeah, oh. I love that. Grace is one for us, a new relationship with this incredible intimacy with God. And we get to crawl up on his lap and say, Abba, Daddy, Father, I, I'm really having a bad day at Black Rock. Can you help me? Of course, come on up here. And he hugs us and he loves us. Oh, my goodness. Grace does also disciplines us. Grace disciplines us and trains us to live in a way that honors God. It's God's grace that does that. Grace grants us immeasurable, immeasurable spiritual riches. Grace also <clears throat> helps us in our every need. Grace is the reason behind every deliverance. Uh, grace uh, perseveres, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, grace preserves us and comforts and encourages and strengthens us. Man, grace is so big. I don't want you guys to get tired of hearing grace this morning, but I just really want to pound this nail home big time. God is actively, actively, and continually working in our lives and in the lives of God's people all through his amazing grace. You know, it comes down to I, what I feel that grace is the ultimate expression of God's love. How many have heard the expression, and then came grace? Now, in the Old Testament, grace, you didn't see a lot of it. 
But they didn't have Jesus either. They were bound and under a law. But God did show grace at several junctions throughout history. But at the same time, in the New Testament, we're so blessed to be living in an era where grace now has a face. Grace is not a thing. Grace is not a feeling. Grace is actually a person. Did you know that? Grace actually has a face on it, and it's the face of Jesus. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made dwelling, His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, <clears throat> full of grace and truth. So Jesus, to me, guys, is the embodiment of grace and truth. Amen? And, and, and this twin reality is the very message of the gospel. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, And the word became, I just read it, flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.16, from the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. <clears throat> so as recipients of all of this grace that I've talked about this morning, I really feel that what God is wanting us to do is we're to be gracious and we're to be releasing all of this to people that are around us, right? <clears throat> grace has been given to you and I to serve others, it's also been given in the form of gifts that we're to use and to exercise and to employ for the building up of the kingdom of God. So many scriptures about those gifts. Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. Amy, you did a beautiful job this morning of prophetically speaking what God was speaking to your heart that released grace on others to feel, ah, oh, I am okay. This is going to be all right. That was powerful. Ephesians 3, 2 says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. There is, a, there is the gift of administration that's given. It's a powerful gift. And the gifts go on and on and on. But 1 Peter 4, 10, you should write this one down. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. <clears throat> Did you catch that? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Can you imagine if we really understood grace to that level that we would just freely give what we have freely received? and bless and to help others with the gift they get. We wouldn't be fighting for positions and slots and not everyone's called to be a pastor. But you're sure called to other things as well. There is a teaching gift. There is there, there's a prophetic. There's all kinds of these. There's the fivefoldness. We could go all over the charts this morning on this stuff, but my point is, is that God has given you something to advance the kingdom. Do you understand that? He's given you that gift. He's graced you with it. And because he's given you that gift, <clears throat> he's given you everything that you need to take that gift and to move out in it. Amen. Well, you know, I got, I got the gift of helps, but I just don't feel like I, you know, I, uh, I, stop it. 
Just start serving somewhere. It doesn't, we all, we all equate it to like, well, they're going to ask me to teach Sunday school. Well, you may have a gift to teach in Sunday school, but you may have a gift to be able to go over and rake your neighbor's yard. You may have a gift you can go over and just help people in your neighborhood. Isn't that really what it's about? Loving on people. In the upper room, I think Jesus imparted something, and this is kind of where we're going to land in a few moments. I think in the upper room, Jesus imparted something, and I think he imparted grace in a whole nother, almost like, he almost like put grace on steroids, man. He took grace to a whole nother level, and he imparted it in the upper room. But I'm telling you, something about grace that we have to wrestle with is it also reveals the uncomfortable reality that the redemptive power of God is able to take everyone, everyone from an old, wicked, Old Testament <clears throat> king to even the religious New Testament Pharisees, even to the people we see around us today, and restore them. Did you catch that? Sometimes we don't, oh, they got what they deserved. Yeah. Or they're going to get what they deserve because they're just mean people. Stop it. So, I've spoken a lot about grace coming to us. But I want to flip that and just talk about how can we, I want to close up with some of these thoughts. How can we release grace upon others? Turn with me, if you would, to Numbers chapter 6. Verses 22 through 27. <coughs> Excuse me. I think we actually sang this, some of these this morning. Number six, it's on page 1,002. Oh. <laughs> Number six, 22 through 27. Yeah. This is very fascinating to me. Now, I spoke all of this about grace. I hope I didn't bore you to death. I, I'm, I don't like going over a lot of scriptures. To me, you get so much, it starts to, in my little pea brain, it gets kind of muddled. But I just wanted to impor, just really show how important grace really is. But again, all of us love to have grace given to us. How many of you love to be recipients of graceful people releasing grace on you, even when you make a big boo-boo or a mistake, and they just go, man, Steve, bless you, brother. I so forgive you. We love hearing that, don't we? Why is it so doggone hard for us to release that on others? And that's where we're going to go. Here we see it, the priestly blessing. We sing a song called The Blessing. And, and here we see, this is so crazy to me. God told the priests to ask him. So God told the priests to ask God to, to bless the people with a declaration that includes the phrase, be gracious. Verse 22, and the Lord spoke to Moses. Look how this chain of command works here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. 
say to them, to the people, wow, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. It seems strange to me, or a strange thing to even consider, that God would wait for us to care enough about others to ask him, the Father, to do what we know is already in his heart to release. Why would God make us the brokers? You ever thought about that? You know, in this house, we always talk about God and how good God is and the goodness of God. We talk about it all the time. God is good, and he's good all the time. time. But we have a hard time. I'll be honest. We have a hard time, some of us, caring about those who really need grace. It, it, It really becomes a challenge when we're looking at wickedness and evil things going on or people around us we're a little torqued with. I'm supposed to release grace on them. I, it's just too hard. I can't do it. And I watch people hold these silly little grudges and these little uh, against people. And they're withholding the very thing that God wants to release on them. And God wants to make you the broker of that grace. Can you care enough about people? Can we reach a place where we care enough about people, where we're willing to look beyond all the things that are going on in their life? We're willing to even look beyond the sin for a moment and ask God if God would just show up, and if God would bless them, if God would smile upon them, if God would pour out his grace on them and allow them to see the error of their ways. Can we do that? You know, I read in the word, every time God or someone asks God for grace or mercy, God seems to release it or had released it in some measure, in some way, shape, or form. You know, and here's me. I can't prove this. I'm still wrestling with this. I've talked to some noble Bereans about it. I'm still on the fence. But perhaps one of the reasons that we don't see a lot of grace in the old covenant is did the priests really release this over the people? Or did they neglect to release it? Because I can't find where they actually said at this moment, at this time, they released it. Now, if you can find it, help me out here because I have searched everything I can think of Maybe I'm trying to make a square pig, pig, pe- <laughs> square peg fit in, fit in a round hole. I don't know. <clears throat> but if they did neglect to release, or if they withheld that release of the blessing at different times when they should have just freely been giving it, maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of grace in the old covenant. The word of God, Matthew 10, 18 says, freely you have received, so freely give. So our inability to release grace when we really should be releasing it, I think demonstrates that we don't fully know how much God has given us. There's a lot of criticism about preaching grace as, as, a, as a weak message or you're just giving people a license to sin when you start preaching grace. And I've heard that time and time again. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, if, if When it's all said and done, guys, there are only three questions worth considering answering by every human being on the face of the earth. One, 
is are you born again? Are you born again? Two, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And three, are you being filled right now? Without the grace of Jesus, without the reality of a reconciled union with him, I don't think you could answer these questions. You can't work your way into any of these questions. You can't strive to be worthy enough to say yes to any of them. It's only by the grace of God that we have the ability to say yes to any of these questions. Have you been born again? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you being filled right now? I think, in all honesty, grace could possibly be the most powerful evangelistic tool that the church is not using. So individually and corporately, we, we tend again to cling to these so-called fits of righteous anger. And I think we're missing out completely on an opportunity to witness God's grace in action. I think this needs to change. Now, I spoke a lot on grace this morning. I apologize for length of scriptures and all that. If that kind of sets you on your ear, that's okay. <clears throat> I typically don't preach those that many scriptures, but at the end of the day, I think we understand what grace is and what it is not. And all of us need to understand that God has given us grace so that we can release it to others. And I think right now, it's one of those evangelistic tools that we're not un we don't quite understand how to use it. But once we do, and we begin to release grace on others, I think we're gonna see a lot of things changing around us. Amen? Lewis, do we have that by chance? Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna, we're just gonna play this song, The Blessing, again. And if that's you, if, if you would love to have God's grace released over you, if you would like to step into this blessing, I just want to call you forward and just, just come forward. It's just between you and God, but just allow him to release that blessing and that grace upon you. We need to be gracious with what God has blessed us with. We need to be gracious with what God has entrusted us with and learn to really turn to the world and begin to release this on others. Amen. Okay, Lewis, when you're ready, we're ready. <clears throat> the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you.
Father, we just thank you for the amazing grace that you poured out in our lives. But Father, we've, we've grown up and we realize that we need to give this away, God. Show us how to do that in an incredibly awesome and powerful way, God. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of grace that you've given to each and every one of us, God. Wow. And I just pray, God, that as we honor you, we will continue to find favor in your eyes and you will give us everything that we need to walk out this walk. Father, that we can sit at your table even when our enemies are standing all around us and we can just recline <laughs> in your presence, God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, let our hearts not be troubled. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Father, I just pray for blessing. I pray for peace on everyone in this room. And I just pray, God, this week we would have an encounter with you that would take this, this thought of grace to a whole new level, God. And we would have the heart, the desire, and the will to just want to get up and begin releasing it again on all those around us. And Father, we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could help pick up a few chairs on the way out, that would be awesome. Thank you.